Thanks be to God. Thanks, Robert. Good advice to stay here for the time being. Unless, of course, you can't walk, and then we would love to pray for you to get up and walk. (coughs) A long time ago, when I was around the age of 21, I got really sick. And I've shared a lot about the intricacies of that story that I'm not going to go into today. But in the course of that, I developed some mental illness, some mental health issues, and also developed what was called post-viral fatigue syndrome. And that's another way of saying you have no energy, motivation, or ability to do anything. So for about 18 months, I was bedridden on and off. It was really miserable. It was probably one of the worst times in my life. And while I was in bed, a friend texted me. And when the friend texted me, they texted me, these words. They said, know that your sins are forgiven, you are healed. And I thought, that's amazing. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to feel 100% and I'm, God's going to fix me and we're all good to go. And so I woke up the next morning and guess what happened? Nothing, nothing. I was quite disappointed actually. In fact, I was really disheartened And after a couple of days of nothing happening and still feeling really rubbish, I met with my friend and I said, you gotta, you gotta break it down for me. What on earth was going on? And they said, well, I texted you that because God's more interested in your spiritual healing than your physical healing. And before God can do a physical work in you, he wants to do a spiritual work in you. And what they highlighted is that their faith was miles ahead of where my faith was. And their maturity of looking at the way God works was far more down the track than where mine was. Because we prize physical healing when our souls are sick, don't we? When we're sick, we want to be healed and feel right. But sometimes there's stuff not right inside us, which we don't give the same amount of attention Two, we value the ability to feel physically well while the inner sanctum that we say, God, live in this part of me is not fit for God to live in. We think we want physical healing over spiritual forgiveness every time. And that's the dynamic in this story, this cracker story that Robert just read to us. There's a massive crowd around this house where Jesus is teaching. It's Mark 2. It's the very start of Jesus' ministry, and already people are stoked that the words he's saying and how he's saying, they're drawn to this house, and so they're flocking around this house, so much so that people that really need Jesus can't get in. So you get the picture of there's a crowd, and it's like all around, and there's no way in. And so the story unfolds, that this crippled man carried by four of his best mates that are so passionate for him to meet Jesus somehow get on the roof and dig a hole in the roof. They dug a hole in the roof. That's nuts, right? We've heard the story told. We're like, oh, yeah, they dug a hole. Has anyone ever had a hole in their roof? We, We once had a hole in our roof that deposited the entire water that was on the roof on our kitchen bench. It was not good. Not good at all. And as that happens, the dollar signs just ring in the air, don't they? 
What about the poor guy whose house it was? Sure, Jesus, you can teach. This will be amazing. People love coming to my house. He did not for a second think he would have to fix the roof after Jesus left. But that's what happened. But we, 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 that part of the story that fascinates us, it's not the focus of where it's at. Then after the man is then lowered down this hole, the man's sins are forgiven based on the faith of his friends. His soul is healed. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. These words, they are the words that every human has been born to hear, has strived to hear from God since Adam and Eve, since the very beginning. Those words have shaped how we interact and think about God for millennia. People from, from many, many moons ago, if there was a famine, they were convinced that God hated them and hadn't forgiven their sins, which was why there was no crops. And then when there was plentiful harvest, when things were going really right, they went, yes, we've done right by the gods. We're not, we are forgiven. We're in a good place. They lived in this tension. We live in the same tension, but we think about it differently and it gets expressed differently. Blaise Pascal, who had one of the best names ever and was a theologian and mathematician in France, he said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person and it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God made known through Jesus Christ. Inside all of us, every person is this deep need to be reconciled with our creator, whether we recognize it or not. And we try and fill that need by all manner of things, like dig a hole in a stranger's roof to lower our friends closer to Jesus, which the teachers of the law were not fans of. They did not appreciate this sort of behavior. So poor Jesus, it doesn't matter what he does. He's, his head's on the chopping block. So he says, they, they start to whinge and moan and carry on, and he says, all right, guys, which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? I want you to know, Jesus says, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he then turned to the man, he said, I tell you, take up your mat, get up, and walk, in full view of them all. Jesus is saying the hardest thing is the forgiveness of sins. That's actually the tough road here. That's the true miracle. The physical healing, it was proof of the spiritual healing. He's like, I know you can't see the forgiveness of sins, so let me convince you that his sins are forgiven. You're healed. Get up and walk. I'll give you something to see so you can believe in what you can't see. You see, it's a greater thing for our sin to be forgiven because it's our sin that causes a greater death. Not just a spiritual, not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. For Jesus, our soul health being forgiven is far more crucial than physical healing. But we don't have the same appreciation. I think I know why. 
You see, God's forgiveness of our sin has an intricate connection with our forgiveness of other people. And we don't like forgiving other people, do we? I'll put, I'm a pastor. I don't like forgiving other people. I just don't like it, but I know the health of it, and we'll get into that, right? See, we're all off the hook. You can all feel bad this morning. We're all bad. That's all good. It's all good. Jesus prayed. In fact, he taught when he was teaching how to pray. He said this in Matthew 6, 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's terrible, terrible news, isn't it? That should be terrifying. We like praying this prayer in church. This is the Lord's Prayer. We, we, we honor it. We love it. Think about the gravity of those words. They're terrifying. The as means in the same manner. God, forgive me in the same manner that I have already forgiven others. <laughs> Just a bit of a self-check. How's your manner of forgiving others going? That's, that's what Jesus is, is, is looking at here. God, offer me the same grace I've already offered everybody else. I'm not sure I want that deal at times. God, grant me the same acceptance in your presence as I grant those who are utterly filthy into my life. The stakes, temperatures, it's gone up, right? It's like, oh, I'm starting to feel a bit uncomfortable sitting in church. Forgive us our debts in the same manner we also have forgiven our debtors. Shockingly, we think it should be the other way around. God, forgive me first, and then I'll work on others. But that is not what Jesus is saying. I wish it were, but he's not. Forgive me in the same manner I have already forgiven others. That's what we're praying to God. That's actually what Jesus is teaching us. I'll teach you how to pray, he says. I'll teach you how to do this life. It's how my kingdom looks. It's how my vision for humanity looks. That the same transactions of my sins being forgiven mean I have pardoned those who have sinned against me. That's what makes our souls well. That's what Jesus was driving at with the paralyzed man, that we get this. It's so essential even more so than our physical healing. That's what outrages the teachers of the law. You see, they turned up keen to hear this rabbi, talented rabbi, give his perspective on all things law and all things life. And Jesus was brilliant. That's why he drew a crowd. It was like watching a TED Talk live of someone blow your mind every day. And the people were excited about what he would teach and the wisdom and the words and those things coming out of his mouth. They hung on every word and he's telling them about his kingdom and how it works and how you might behave in it and who it's for and how you can live in it. And then through the roof comes an opportunity for them to be seen, for him to show them. So he's talking and they're loving it. And he says, let me show you real life, what it feels like, what it looks like, because this dude has just been lowered into our midst. And then he would have said, sorry about the roof. I'll get the disciples onto it or something. Yeah. The kingdom of God is a place 
where Jesus mends your soul. We talked about last week, the church and the kingdom of God are the same words. The church is the place where God wants to mend your soul. But how often do we let our church, the church, look like everywhere else? I've been involved in tons and tons of organizations and groups over the years that have had nothing to do with church. And when there's a grievance happen, like 99% of the time, it heads down a single track. And the track is that someone gets hurt and then they don't want to forgive. And so they have a conflict or a fight with that person. Both feel bitter, hurt, and then one or both leave in bitterness. They don't deal with their bitterness. They run away from the situation, but the bitterness goes with them because they don't realize their soul's being damaged. So they take their bitterness with them and other people pick up on it. They go, ah, I'm going to be careful how close I go to you because I might be next on the list. Bitterness paralyzes us. It kills us. It makes us so far removed from who God wants us to be. But Jesus' vision is so much grander. It's so much more incredible. A vision where everybody is forgiven by each other and by God. What a vision. The church, that's us. We are the church, not this building. Don't be fooled. We are the church. We need to work differently and think differently than everywhere else in the world. Because the church is the one place where people need to come as messed up and broken and brokenhearted and bitter as they do and find the grace of God that is first present in our lives. And we can be different because of what Jesus did. It's the only way we can be different. You see, when you're hurting, and and some of you are, I'm sure, this morning, you hear a message like this, and you're like, I'm glad you're starting to talk about the church, Ralph. That's good, because it was another Christian who really hurt me. You don't want to point, because that's really rude, and hopefully they're not sitting right next to you, but you're thinking, the reason I'm hurting is another Christian, so this church thing could be good to sort it out. If you, could, if you could sort it out, Ralph, if God, if you could sort it out and fix this thing. And so my question is, what, what does Jesus say to that? What does he say to that? Does he side with us in our hurt? Does he kind of nestle in next to us? You're right. <laughs> I've been trying to get rid of them for ages. Or does he say, have you seen the other side? Does he say, oh, just work it out yourselves? Or does he say something entirely different? Does he say something that we read this morning? Well, first of all, son, daughter, your sin is forgiven. That's why we hurt, right? We hold on to stuff we shouldn't hold on to. It's all God's. Very find it very hard to let go of that stuff. So when we're, we're hurt, it's because someone has taken something that never actually really belonged to us. It was God's, and we find that hard place. And so, so God, Jesus starts by us. He says, your sins are forgiven. You're, all, you're okay. I love you. I see you're hurting. I love you. And then he says, just remember what I taught my disciples. My forgiveness can only flow into your life the same degree it flows from your life 
into others. It's difficult. It's hard. God never holds forgiveness back from us, ever. But he does empower us with the opportunity to receive as much forgiveness as we're willing to pass on. A long time ago, I came face to face with my, my sin. I was having a quiet time. I've shared this a little bit before. And I wrote down all the things I could possibly think of that might fall into a sin category that I'd ever done. It was a horrific list. I burnt it shortly after. You can't find it. <laughs> nope, no one's seen that ever. And I looked at this list and I went, there is no way I would ever want to be friends with this person, ever. But God wants to be my friend. And God knows all the stuff that I couldn't even think of that should be on the list. And if God forgave me for all that stuff, how could I possibly hold anything against anybody else if that's what God has saved me from? And that's what Jesus is driving at. And when I realized that, my heart broke for the sin in my life against God. And that's when God could start healing and fixing stuff in me. And that's when I became physically better. I felt like the paralyzed man who'd just been given the opportunity to walk again. It was so freeing. It's like, I'm free of this stuff. I'm forgiven. God, you would do that. I can't do that to other people. But you would do that to me. It's no fluke that the paralyzed man is forgiven in the story. That's what bitterness does to us. It completely paralyzes us. I see it in the world all the time, but why do we settle for it in the church? Why do we settle for it? Why don't we allow God's grace to cover the sins of others against us? It's hard, right? It's hard. We want it. We all want it, but we know it's hard when we're in that situation. In mid-May of 1945, the Allies marched into Holland to liberate the Dutch people. Anyone know who this is? Corey Tempen. I'll tell you all about her now if you don't know. She were, uh, Corey was among one of those uh, uh, rescued, um, but her beloved sister, Betsy, died in the concentration camp. And so as a result, for the rest of her life, Corey would tour around the world teaching on God's forgiveness and the power of God's forgiveness. She devoted her whole life to it. And in 1947, just shortly after, she was speaking in a church in Munich when a balding grey man in a large overcoat walked toward her to greet her and she recognised him and she froze. She knew this man well. He'd been one of the guards in Ravensbrück who had mocked her and so many of the other women when she was in the shower. She writes this. She says, it came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, and the shame of walking naked past this man. And now he was pushing out his hand in the church to greet her and thank her for the message. He said a fine message today for a line. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. See the gravity of what's taking place? She said, I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. 
I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. I couldn't move. The man said, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. But since that time, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, the hand is there. Will you forgive me? She says, as I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive because this man was responsible for the death of my sister, how could I erase such terrible things by forgiving him? As the soldier stood there expectantly, Corey reflected. She said, I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that the message of God, that God forgives, has, sorry, the message that God has, the message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. Standing there before the former SS man, Corey remembered that forgiveness is an act of the will, not of emotion. It's an act of your mind and the decision you want to make rather than how you feel. And she said, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so she thrust out her hand into his. She says, as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder. It raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then, but even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the vision of Jesus looks like. Even the most undeserving, the most paralyzed, the most bitter, the most prideful, the most hated need to be forgiven. They need our forgiveness because of how forgiveness shapes everything that happens in the church and in the world. Without forgiveness, the church cannot live up to the vision of God's kingdom. So how do you know when you need to forgive someone? You're sitting there this morning, you're like, how do I know that I need to forgive someone? When you think of them, your heart grows cold. That's how you identify. Is there anyone in your life that when you think of them, your heart grows cold toward them? Do you know what God thinks of every person? His heart grows warm toward every person. It's amazing. I don't know how he has the capacity to do it. Because he has forgiven every person. And his greatest desire is that they would receive that. They would receive eternal life. They would receive the forgiveness of their sins. It's done. Jesus did it on the cross. And he says to humanity, come to me. And it breaks his heart when we can't, when we don't. If God has forgiven every person through what Jesus did, then I can certainly forgive those who wronged me. 
And yes, it might be a journey, but it's walking that journey. There's a man called Eric Honecker. Anyone know who this is? Oh, he's about to get an education. It's a bit German today. This man's a German. He was head of the uh, former East German government. And for 26 years, Honecker had implemented harsh laws on the education policy. It was a communist state. Um, and anyone who refused to pay allegiance to the state was prohibited from higher education. So just think about that and your kids and your life. And like, oh, okay, unless I say the state is my God and my Lord um, and I am allegiant to it, no, uh, like no um, higher education. Then in 1990, the communist regime, it collapsed. And Honecker and his wife Margot were evicted from their very luxurious palace in Vendilz, and they were made homeless, much to the joy of the German people. It's a good day. Now, this guy, you Holmer, anyone know who he is? If you didn't know who the last one was, there's no way you'll know who this dude is. Hugh Holmer was a Lutheran evangelical pastor who, with his wife, had 10 kids, and all of them had been denied higher education under this regime. Yet upon hearing of Honecker's situation, Hugh Holmer, this guy, went out, found him, and offered Honecker and his wife Margot to stay with them. Honecker and Margot stayed with Holmer and their family for two months. This is them talking. The next slide. Stayed with them for two months. They ate at the same table. They slept under the same roof. They were family. Do you see the amount of grace that thrives in you, Holmer's life to be able to do that? What's more, the community that he lived in were outraged that he would treat someone so evil in such a kind way that they banished them. So they couldn't go down the street, they couldn't go to their supermarkets, they couldn't do all that because of this act of forgiveness and grace. His church, however, was completely and utterly transformed because people saw grace in action. And over time, people started coming to that church in droves because it was the only space of hope in all of society because it offered something different and it looked something different because people had handled this vision, Jesus' vision of forgiveness with the utmost respect. The church is God's gift of healing to us. And regrettably, it's sometimes the cause of our pain, but that is not Jesus' vision. Just like the man's house with the hole in the roof was the gift of God to people that day. And we need to realize that it's too easy to sit on the outskirts, to listen for all the wisdom and go, gee, that was good teaching, or I like that advice about life, while our souls shrivel up and die. Because we've not accepted the forgiveness of God and we've not passed on the forgiveness of God. The story ultimately teaches us that we should rush toward Jesus with such desperation we're willing to tear the roof off to be healed. And healing starts with forgiveness. I don't want bitterness to paralyze any of you. And, and, and this, this is a message that I hope will reverberate on this week as you get hurt. Next weekend, in a month's time, 
the Spirit of God will capture something of this message and enable you to experience the relief that man on the stretcher did by offering forgiveness to others and opening your life up to the forgiveness of God. And so I just want to pray for you all. Now, in fact, I want to give a little bit of space where you might deal with God about the people that your heart has grown hold to and you might forgive them. That you have, you have to let go of the right you hold on to to punish them. That's what forgiveness is. I don't want to let go of my right to punish them. It's my right. Yeah, it kind of is your right, and that's the beauty of it. You're giving up your right. You're saying, God, you deal with it. I give, I, I, they're okay with me. You deal with them as you see fit. They're not your issue anymore. The sin is not your issue anymore. And you know the funny thing about forgiveness, we go, we could never talk to someone and say you're forgiven. <laughs> it has very little to do with that person. They don't even know most of the time that they've hurt you. But your life can be destroyed as a result. And so let it go. Let it go. And receive what God has for you. And be obedient to that care. So we're going to pray now, and then after the service, a prayer um, corner is going to be open for anybody that would like any further prayer. Because this sort of stuff, it's so sensitive, it's so difficult, it's so hard, yet we're safe. We're safe in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are carrying grudges and bitterness and pain that are too heavy for us. And we live under the shadow of them. And they steal so much joy for us. They cause us to miss out on so much. So I pray, Lord, you would sweep us into your vision. Give us the power that you gave Corey Ten Boon for us to relinquish the debts others have done against us. Diffuse the bitterness and the heat and the pain of those encounters. Free us from their grip. And Lord, before you now, in the quietness of our own hearts, we offer you those names. We give you those names. Lord God, we, um, we ask now that you would forgive us. for the sin and the rebellion and the ugliness in our life that has been thrown onto you and been the cause of us moving away from you, Lord. Forgive us. We do not have the strength to be perfect, and so we are so thankful that your son Jesus becomes perfect. You look at us through Christ, and so we just put on that. We take on Christ now, Lord. We accept the forgiveness that you've given. We welcome the healing and we look forward to the transformation. We ask these things in your almighty name. Amen. Guys, if you want to jump up. Um, there's one more thing I want to say that I was kind of reminded as we we're praying there and that is that, um, that forgiveness is a journey. Some of you may have brought a name just then that you're like, I should be over this by now, but I'm not. 
Like it, it is a journey, but it's a journey we move toward God with. And so if there are, don't beat yourself up if it's the same name. Keep bringing it to God. And it will lose its power. The debt will be diminished and you will find freedom. So let's worship God now.